tonight. It's artist Peter Vinton's birthday. It's our producer Drew's birthday. And it's Nikola Tesla's birthday. Shocking, I know. It's Sci-Fi Saturday Night. <laughs> Status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Welcome, 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 one and all, to the July 10th, 2010 edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night in Area 51. I am the Dome. Joining tonight's talk cast from the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, welcome Kriana and her magnificent new soundboard. I was going to ask, did you notice anything different about our broadcast tonight? Well, right off the bat, I hope they would have noticed the fact that live now we've got our uh, our opening music. And what else have we got? Well, we've got our closing music and um, small clips to amuse and entertain you. Give me something to amuse and entertain the audience right now. Anything at all. If you're referring to the incident with the dragon, I was barely involved. <laughs> <laughs> From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, remembering that he is the walrus and she came in through the bathroom window, pencil-pushing oh, oh. boy wonder, illustrator X, and his flesh-eating bombshell, the dead redhead. Good evening, everyone. Have you heard? It's in the stars. Next July, we collide with Mars. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, did you ever. <laughs> and from Outpost Gallifrey in Indiana, our caffeine-addicted Midwest editor, Awake by Java. Java, how are you? Fantastic. Well, somebody's got to be. I'm glad it's you today. <laughs> <laughs> our first half hour is our usual roundtable of fun and excitement. Joining us throughout the show today is uh, an author who we're going to be talking to about his uh, dragonsbar.com series later, Tracy Hickman. Tracy, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Wow, you're coming through nice and clear. Okay. Why, like yes, I'll use my best announcer voice. Tonight. Oh, don't bother, don't bother with that crap. We've all been fired from radio stations, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, guys. What's happening in the world of sci-fi this week? Hmm, where do we want to start? Warehouse 13. 13. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start with sci-fi actually doing two really good things. I'm so glad of... it's back. <laughs> oh, shit. It's an amazing series, is it not? It is. And now that now that Doctor Who has ended uh, for, this, for the series, uh, I need something to, to make me happy. And Warehouse 13 is going to do it, I can t already tell. Oh, absolutely, Will. Absolutely, Will. Not only Warehouse 13, but Eureka, um, which I know is kind of a, a distant second in that hierarchy, but a second nonetheless. And, and uh, these two shows, um, they'll never replace the level of cheese that Octop Sharktopus brings to the screen. <laughs> I don't know. Warehouse 13 really tried. They tried. They tried. They tried really hard. Okay, um, the Escher Vault, you can't get so much cheesier than that looked. I was looking for Bowie's character in that. <laughs> <laughs> I was sorry, like, I know. The effects for that vault were just so cheesy. They were good, but cheesy hey, good. Let's see you do the same thing on a Commodore 64. Come on. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got my Amiga downstairs. We can do this. We can make this happen. I know we can. Bottom line make is, an Escher vault on a Commodore 64? Absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> Boy, do I'm doing one on my right. Apple IIe right now. Oh, my <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> Yeah, okay. We're going back in time, children. Hey, remember when we had to use crank engines to get these damn computers? <laughs> <laughs> Tribbles agree with you. Okay. <laughs> Oh, we Listen, are I remember when I first started writing, I was I was using this uh, Apple II. No, excuse me, I was using a, a Mac uh, Plus, and oh, we had to. Oh, that's cute. 
Oh yeah, it was so cute. It was so adorable. You know, you just wanted to hug it, and and we would have to load um, Microsoft Word by inserting the disk in the front every time you wanted every to start it. Every time you wanted to run Word, you'd, st- you'd stick the disk in the front and then swap disks constantly. It was the only exercise we had at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so there. Finally, I actually went out. Someone said I should go do this, and I went and bought a hard drive. Um, they said uh, that that would that would really improve my life tremendously, and I, I did. I bought a twenty megabyte hard drive. <laughs> wow, that was huge back in the day. Seriously, who would ever need to use that much memory? Oh, and uh, they, I, I can remember the guy at the store asking me, "Do you want a, Do you want? A, do you want?" A regular driver? Do you want a SCSI drive? And I said, No, I want a good drive. Don't give me a SCSI drive. <laughs> yeah, I remember being told when I bought my Atari 800 XL, Why you don't need that much memory? I was mm. like, Yeah, but I got all this typing to do. <laughs> what, you really? know, he had something to do with what you accidentally poured into your keyboard when you were. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. Uh, so warehouse thirteen. Uh, <laughs> Hey, Java, uh-huh. did you see the second Doctor Who game got released, Blood of the Cybermen? Absolutely. <gasps> I, haven't, I haven't gotten my hot little hands on it yet. Oh, I'll be happy to send you my copy of it. <laughs> oh, it's really cool. It's better than the first one. Really? Okay, please tell me that if you... You don't die. They they make you into a Cyberman if you lose. I'm not. Excuse me. You think I'm going to play spoiler with you? Yeah. You? <laughs> not a chance in hell, you son of a bitch. You're going to have to play the damn thing. I don't know about the rest of you. But I feel lucky today. Uh, yeah. Uh, I did read the, read the brief synopsis of the game, and it looks just, I mean, it looks great. Um, I haven't had a chance to sit down and play it, though, yet. I've been uh, lost in Hyrule for the past couple of days playing some Zelda. So, uh, <laughs> Good for you. Wow. Hey, you know what? I, all right. We've all seen the whole se- the Matt Smith season now. Yes. Yeah. All right. Can I just say it's okay? No. I'm hoping for better things, but uh, I thought the only one that was a really standout episode was the Van Gogh one. Aside from that, I'm like, well, this is good. Well, this is okay. This is nice. Amy's um, choice was awesome. Yeah, that was good was too. Okay. And the whole arc with the with the lizard people who live under the earth. No, that was sorry. Yeah, the Silurians. Yeah, that was so cool. No. You know so, what? It's it's making me realize I miss I miss multiple episodes. I miss story arcs because I don't like story arcs. Well, no, you're used to a story arc in which Amy Pond. Ha- goes through stuff episode to episode. I'm talking about having a story that you watch for seven weeks at a time. You get to build up so that when these side characters get killed, you actually cared about them. Even, care even about? better, a story arc that begins in the first episode and doesn't pay off till the ending. Exactly. Right. exactly. That, that's what I missed. You're right. The writing has definitely changed its focus there's no question about it and the problem yeah, also is they when you did at the story arc from the very first episode absolutely i was just about to say I that totally cracks in the universe the cracks yeah. in the universe factored in the entire season and maybe the whole focus of each episode was not on advancing that plot but every episode advanced it a little bit right well i mean I'm and saying- I, I have to say that you know they were probably taking it pretty easy with the new doctor. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's young, he's new to the part, and the, okay, I'm not, uh, I have never seen any of the Doctor Who episodes before 2005. I never saw them, okay? I, I, you know, I was a fetus. Um, <laughs> You're entitled. So, so I, don't, I don't know anything about that stuff. And, and in... The Edelston and um, Tennant both did really good job, uh, a really good job with uh, what I figure the Doctor is supposed to be. But at, you know, the the series taking a new direction. I think it's just a part of the the way that 
You know, the creators want to appeal to their audience. I mean, the Doctor and the Companion are both younger this time. Um, you know, but and they have they, they have a different dynamic than previously. Age, you know, regardless, the Doctor is no longer a love interest, really. Amy Pond is a wonderful character, but the thing that it reminded me of, for those of us who have seen the majority of the Doctor Who's, is it reminded me back to the season with Sylvester McCoy that Ace was more of the focus mm. instead of, I mean, the Doctor was certainly there, but it was like the whole season was somewhat around Ace, which, yes. I, I mean, Ace was a great character, too. It wasn't that those were bad. It was just that this is kind of taken on the same tone that this season wasn't about the doctor. It was about Amy and who was wonderful. And she was an amazing character. And that actress is adorable and there's no question about it. And a great set of legs. Yeah. She has a great set of legs, but it just seemed like it was more about Amy than it was about the doctor. And I think that's true. And I think they did that intentionally. And it was set up from the beginning of the beginning of the the season. I mean, with David Tennant at the end of his stint, I mean, everything was it was overwhelmingly you know about the doctor and his his you know his existence and how he felt about his existence and what he was doing with his life and and all of that stuff was really great and it was you know very deep and very engaging and very interesting but you know what i i enjoyed every single episode of this series i don't um, think there was anything that i didn't like about this series i mean it, well, no, you said it yourself. You are coming in from having never seen anything else. I've seen every single existing episode from 1963 <laughs> on, and to me it works best as a gothic horror in the early Tom Bakers, the late uh, John Pertwee's. But, you know, we could talk about this and get into a big Jets versus Sharks dance-off. <laughs> All right, no singing. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of our previous guest... Uh, Harlan Ellison is selling his books. Yes. Wait a minute. I, I just want to make one last point there, if I can, in pontification, as I do. You see, you see they are insane. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line is, I do think the style of writing has changed. I do think that it, for the past three, four years, there's been a certain style. The style has changed because Moffat has moved. Because of that, there are going to be things that we're going to like more. There are things that we're going to like less. I'm, I'm almost thinking that in a lot of ways, it's become Amy Pond's series much more than The Doctor's. And in some ways, it's almost Doctor Who light. I don't think it is. I think that's totally... I disagree. Okay. Well, I mean, and you're entitled Moving to it. on. Okay. We got other stuff to talk about. Yeah, Harlan. So you know what? This week, why don't you give us your opinion on Doctor Who to win a fabulous prize? There you go. Yes. What's our fabulous prize this week? The fabulous prize this week is uh, I don't know. Well, might as well be last week's the uh, the Doctor Who print we have of Celeste McCoy. The bad wolf one. Yeah. What's the hell? Since today is Peter Vinton's birthday, it's it's by Peter Vinton. Yep, 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 yep. We yep, love yep, you, yep. Peter. Let us, folks, let us know how, what you think of the Matt Smith season. And uh, you will be entered in to win an original print. And silence fell across the podcast. So, why is Harlan selling his personal collection of books? Because he can. <laughs> <laughs> Every, Every couple answer. of years, Harlan does this. And... Uh, what you find out is that there's some incredibly cool stuff in there. Well, yeah. Oh my God! Would yes. be. Damn, now, Skippy. Any, any partic any uh, titles in particular you want to bring up? Um, actually, I was going to bring up the PDF file and take a look at it again because it was it was kind of cool. There well, was while some... you're while he, is doing he that, doing anything with the proceeds? Are they just going to Harlan, or is he going? Are they going to a charity? Is he just like? Ah, damn it, I got a million of Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451s. <laughs> I'm pretty much thinking that's exactly what he's doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. While you're pulling that up, um, another favorite show of all of ours, I think, is Fringe. 
and I see that once again John Noble, uh, Walter, oh. was snubbed for an Emmy nomination. So wrong. What the hell? No the kidding. Emmys don't seem to like science fiction. fiction. They never liked Twin Peaks. And, uh, yeah, well, they were wrong about that, too. I know. But seriously, I mean, just watching him act, I mean, to me, that was, he's the whole show. I get sucked into that show every time, just watching this guy. Just, mm. So much pain and pathos and you name it's it. Unbelievable. It's yeah. Unbelievable. All You're right. never going to get an appreciation, I think, from outside the community. Uh, the, the the Emmys, you know, if it doesn't have a hooker with a heart of gold in it, there's no point. <laughs> you know, and and admittedly, while Serenity did their best to get there, um, you hey, know, they it, had Inara, and it was a hooker with a heart of gold. <laughs> God damn right, she was. They had an episode named Heart of Gold about yes, hookers in, the, in on a planet. Uh, it was right. Which, yeah. in fact, I think was their play for an Emmy, but um, it didn't <laughs> work out because uh, because it's science fiction for crying out loud, and and is is not going to get any uh, any kind of recognition as real literature or as uh, as as real performance. I, I, I've had a, I have a number of people down over the years who've who have written to me and have said, you know, I really wanted to do a book report on, on my favorite science fiction book or my favorite sa- fantasy book. But the teacher said, it's just not real literature. Oh, man. I remember Harlan that. said the same thing. You know, it's funny because Harlan did say exactly the same thing. I've said that to my students. Mm. <laughs> I told my students they could use comic book characters for their papers. So I mean, the, the, there's a there's a certain amount of um, of truth to it when you when you're thinking of when from a teacher's perspective when you want a student to you know uh, understand certain concepts. A lot of science fiction and fantasy fiction uh, just doesn't do what a book like what example or it doesn't exist. Well, I would say a, a portrait of Dorian Gray. I mean, it it's on the it's borderline. It's fantasy. It, it's on the borderline, but it's not. It's not so much. It's not about the fantasy, like uh, like um, I would say Aragon is. It's not. Wait, so what? So what is Dorian Gray? Oh my goodness! That, you're going to bring up Aragon at this Aragon. point. Oh, <laughs> what does Dorian Gray have that Stranger in a Strange Land doesn't? Thank you. Oh, yeah. you know, Kriana, I love you right now for saying that. <laughs> I call shenanigans not in a white way. It's just like there's trashy prose novels and regular fiction. There's trashy science fiction, but there's also really classy science fiction. Well, That's I mean, I, I tell I tell my students that they can't, you know, use. I don't say blanket. You know, you can't use fantasy or you because if. If somebody comes up to me with Out of the Silent Planet and wants to do a book report on it, absolutely. You know, that's, that's, um, that's, it's just that it's easier for students to, to pick, uh, especially when it comes to young adult fiction, because I use mostly that in my classroom. It's easier for them to go into the young adult section of the library or in the bookstore and pick out a book that will work for certain things if it's uh, if it's a you know a dramatic story about people rather than um, you know a, a juvenile fantasy literature, you know, Java, it, it becomes a matter in some ways of saying if you look at juvenile fiction, if you look at uh, what in the golden age of, of writing they called uh, the uh, the the children's books, half spacesuit will travel. Uh, um, Things like that, that Heinlein, that Clark, that uh, when Clark wrote the uh, robot series um, with uh, Daniel Olivaw, which that is, Asimov. I'm sorry, that Asimov wrote. Thank you. You that know, was like my favorite book. But yeah, I, I know. Who gave you that book? Um, actually, they're still here. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Somebody well, still has all my copies of it. You look at you look at some classic science fiction. I think you can find fabulous examples in all of that, especially um, Asimov's uh, pieces. Uh, I've I've always loved, for example, his um, Bridle and Saddle from Foundation. What a what an insightful social commentary! I think that 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 gives us. 
and you're right. It's like any other, like any other um, type of literature or any other type of uh, media, performance media for that matter. You're, you get the popcorn, trashy kinds of media, and then you get some seriously thoughtful media. And um, it's a good day when you can find that. But um, uh, and, and it's just I think my objection in that is is in throwing out in, is in throwing out science fiction or throwing out fantasy or speculative fiction or uh, in in any of its forms simply because it is speculative fiction it, therefore it must not be serious. I feel um, like frankly, and Java, this is not meant directly at you that it's laziness on the point of teachers where they don't like or care about that genre and they don't want to deal with it and they know that some of it is trashy so. Forget all of it. You can't well, that's and and that's absolutely understandable. That, but I mean, I'm I'm telling you that when I tell my kids to go pick out a book, and you know, uh, and they if they want to choose a science fiction or a fantasy fantasy one, they do not choose challenging, good, interesting, speculative fiction. No, they they're don't. going after well, the well, Twilight that's why series. you're the teacher, right. though, because you know which ones are good. So why don't you? And say, I can, well, and I point them towards great things as much as I can, but. When it's when when they say you know can I read a fantasy book I'm like okay but you got to make sure that it's a good one and that's and that's absolutely fine with me if they pick a good one but they will never do that and then I have to well, fight them and I don't want to okay, fight them. Well, I that, remember you don't want to fight them. It's true, but at the same time you do want to get them to read. Everybody absolutely. wants exactly. to get them to read. And, I've got I've and, had examples from time to time. In in my own work, I, 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 in particular, I come to mind I, sitting across the table, sitting here signing books and people coming by and talking. And I looked up from the table, and here was this six foot, four inch, three hundred and fifty pound biker. <laughs> he was in his full leathers, right? <laughs> he had his leather jacket, black T-shirt. He had this, this nimbus of hair splaying out from his head, this enormous bushy beard. I was certain that this was the end of my life. He was going to <laughs> reach across the table. What he was doing in this convention, I have no idea. Who let him in? I don't know. Maybe he ate them when he <laughs> came through. But he was standing there in front of me, and I looked up, and his huge, huge hands were curled around my book. So hard he was bending it. Oh. Very cool. Very and I cool. looked up into this man's face and tears were streaming out of his eyes because this was the first book he'd read. And <gasps> oh my this God. was the book that opened the door for him. And he was standing in front of me and he couldn't speak because this was so important to him. Very cool. Very cool. And and that's the power uh, that that the written word can have. You know, what was you know, what was said in the book maybe was less important than the fact that it opened up the whole door for him. And that's and that for me is 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 the magic part for us. Do we? Gosh, do we need to have them read read a diversity of things? Oh, please, yes. We live in a society today where we have so many channels of communication that are open to us simultaneously that we can literally pick and choose the level, uh, uh, the channels that we listen to so that we can minimize our own cognitive dissonance. And that means that we can find somebody to tell us all the time that we're right and never, ever challenge our thoughts. It means we can talk. We can either watch Fox or we can watch CNN, and we can decide which side right. we want to take. In this polarized nonsense society that we've got running. You know, it's like what everybody was. The, the people who put down Harry Potter, they can say whatever they want about Harry Potter, but look how many kids that book got to read. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah absolutely. Should they be reading To Kill a Mockingbird? Oh man, absolutely. Sure. Yes, what an incredible I, book. No, and it started. <laughs> Hey guys, yeah, but you don't exactly see kids dressed up as Boo Radley at Barnes and Noble, you know? Oh, and why should you? Know, I mean, that would be wouldn't that be really cool? Or you know, as a as a as a gourd, they could come. <laughs> you know, as as a former English teacher, uh, and uh, I used to teach a lit course in in humanities, and uh, it was team taught with two other people, and I fought with them for five years. Uh, 
to have the ending book be uh and Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm. Uh, and I couldn't get it past the board as many times as I tried. I tried every year for like five straight years. And finally, I just dropped teaching the course because uh, I really thought that's where it ends in the future, not the present in the future. But be that as it may. Moving back to Harlan Ellison. Oh, yes, about Harlan Ellison. <laughs> Didn't I hear he was selling his books? Okay, here's, here's the coolest things that I found in the sale. Lot number 141, the Betty Page's Annual by Black Cat Books, containing the Queen of Guilty Pleasures, Adults Only. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, yeah. How much is that for? Uh, that one goes for $35 each. There are <gasps> copies of it. Wow. Red alert. Yeah, really. <laughs> downstairs to my computer. <laughs> wow. Oh, my uh, God. If he's selling the podcast episode of, that he did with us, I, w- uh, I want to cut. I can see, <laughs> see that in there. Uh, That's too new, dear. That's true. I did also see uh, a Westcon 37 uh, flyer, the Digest uh, booklet for Westcon 37, containing his A Love Story to Jerry Falwell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And he has and uh, a short story called "Acknowledging the Elephant" by David Gerald. Oh, wow! Oh, no kidding. So that that sounds like that's really interesting too, and that's going for twenty bucks. But he's got some really really expensive stuff in here too. Oh my God. Uh, well, Mephisto and Onyx by uh, Mark Zeisling, nineteen ninety three, the Death Cell edition, signed by Harlan Ellison and Frank Miller. There are 40 copies signed and lettered by the author and the artist. These are all author's copy bound in permalin leather. Well, well Dom, why don't you post the link to that in the, in the wave, and then our readers can go and uh, yes, check please. out the list for themselves. And, and the crew. $500. Okay. That's expensive. Still, $500. Yeah, but you know what? Do you know how many times after our, our show with him, I came home, and it's like... Illustrator X, this is Harlan Ellison. Beep. And I'm like, oh, for God. Hi. <laughs> wow. Pretty cool, huh? And uh, Well, I tell you, it does impress your guests. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, okay, when he quotes his phone number, you can't hear that. <laughs> yeah, really. He we will promise. Kill us. All right. But anyways, you know what? We're at the halftime, folks. Well, I, have, oh, I, have a quick, I have a quick news bite for, from our friends at Brown Coats Redemption. Oh, go for it. Um... They have started doing a live Q&A session on Newstream every Thursday night. So if you're following Brown Coats Movie on Twitter, you can get notifications whenever they start up their live Q&A sessions. So you can come and join us. And if you have a Skype handle, you can even join the call and talk to Mike Doherty himself live. And you never know who from the cast or crew is going to show up. We actually did get a couple of the cast there last Thursday. And, you know, some celebrity guests from Sci-Fi Saturday Night, perhaps. Woo! Yes. Woohoo! So, maybe, yeah. maybe some of them are helping run it occasionally. Um, Very cool. <laughs> but it, I can't imagine tough. who that might be, huh? I don't, I don't know. Probably the technical person, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah I want to okay. say a shout-out to these guys because uh, they've but. been doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. Check out uh, Brown Coach Redemption. It's a very, very cool time. And uh, did we lose somebody along the way? No, I just, I, no I, we just I, nodded off. That's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm restoring my hard drive here, so uh, you know I have to reload my entire iTunes library. This is affording me an excellent opportunity to do that. <laughs> And on that note, let's bring in Tracy Hickman. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Well, Great really tonight. In. He's kind of been here the whole time and talking with us. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know. Very deep radio voice. Amongst what, is there an echo in here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but Tracy, thank you very much for coming on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, it's awesome to be with you guys here tonight. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure, man. I gotta say, um, I remember reading the Dragonlance novels, the uh, the Rose of the Prophet series. 
uh, Deathgate Cycle, so it's very thrilling to have you here. And now you've got a new series at Dragon's Bard, and what is unique about this new project of yours? Why, I'd be happy to tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, if that wasn't the most forced. <laughs> wow! Well, I have, I have looked over the site, and it's a very um, new sort of experimental distribution method, and I am totally into those things, so why don't you give us the details? Well, I'm really excited about it, too. In a way, it's kind of going back um, uh, backwards a little bit to uh, uh, to find things that work. You know, everybody's looking for the way that publishing needs to move, um, uh, except for publishing. Um, <laughs> That's true. Uh, they've uh, been struggling with the whole concept of ebook and online delivery of, of books and uh, have not been able to find um, which direction to jump. And everybody in publishing, I think, seems to be waiting for somebody to make a move. So I think we've uh, decided that we're going to go ahead and make a move and uh, try something new uh, on our own. Somebody, um, a friend of mine here, uh, mentioned to me a few weeks ago, or a, few, a couple of months ago actually now, that um, the book that you have, the book that you put on the shelf is really a souvenir. It's not, uh, I, yes, you read it, it's true, and you have an experience with it, but, but in the end, the reason you keep it on your shelf is because it is a souvenir of the experience that you've had with it. Um, and so this occurred to me, the more I thought about this, uh, the more it seemed to me that uh, the book itself was something of a treasure, the physical item itself oh, was something absolutely. of a treasure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is why this is why you know uh, uh, people sell their collections, like we were just talking about. Exactly. So um, I I took a look at this and, and and realized that maybe what I needed to do was to come up with a different model for publishing, um, and so I looked to Charles Dickens um, uh, for how he did it way back when. Most of the novels that Charles Dickens wrote. Um, were done as serials. That's they were right. written on a periodical basis. They were published in magazines, um, and uh, and were had cliffhangers. Um, why he was most so of, close. <laughs> and why they were so freaking long? Yeah. And why exactly? That's exactly why they were so long. Um, and, and in fact, you know, most of his best known works were done as serials. Uh, Tale of Two Cities was done as a series. Uh, a serial. Uh, Great Expectations was done as a serial. Well, in the um, golden age of uh, science fiction, most of them were done through the pulps as serials as well. Exactly. Absolutely. And so why not go back to that model? Why not take a look at that model and, and, and reinvent it uh, in a new way? And that's exactly what we've done here. With, uh, at Dragon's Bard, which is at dragonsbard.com, um, we are presenting uh, a subscription for a book. And people can come and subscribe to this book as a serial. We provide them with a chapter every week um, in series and in sequence. Um, we just finished, in fact, and posted today, chapter six, um, uh, which is called Father Pantheon. And, uh, uh, and they're able to read the book as it is being written. Um, one of the cool things about this aspect has been that we've been getting feedback from the people who are subscribers to the book. They'll come back and tell us where the typos are or where there's something that needs correction. or, And we're able to update the chapter and provide them with a new PDF version of the chapter uh, that includes their corrections as we go. Cool. Now, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, where you're getting that um, that that regular input from the readers now, are you? Do you actually have an ending in 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 mind, or is this something where the readers can actually say, "Look, I've got an extra fifty bucks. I want you to put me in as a walk-on and make sure this happens in chapter 12. You know, that'd be a really good idea. I think I'll go ahead and implement that next week, uh, <laughs> and people can bribe me to be put in the book. What an interesting concept! Well, actually, it's not novel. Actually, isn't that what Jess Hartley did? Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very much. Yeah. So we've actually been interviewing several authors already who have had interesting, new, some of the authors didn't show up, <laughs> ways <laughs> of funding their writing careers. Well, and in fact, we have to do that now mm -hmm. because standard publishing is dropping the ball. 
They, oh, absolutely, um, and I totally agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, we've just seen some wonderful ideas, and, and some of them work better than others, and some of them work just differently than others. But mm-hmm. I think that a lot of authors, um, and I, I, what I'm trying to say here is I don't think that publishing is unable to find another model. I think they're unwilling to find another model because they're obsolete. And it never well, sounds good to be. Sounds honest. like the music, the music industry right now is going through the same thing. Right. Well, actually, actually if you look exactly back historically, thing. if you look back historically, the film industry went through this. Um, back at the end of the studio system, back in the fifties, uh, um, uh, the studios thought they were on their way out. Um, television was taking over, and people were watching television. People were going to the movies the way they used to go. There wasn't the monopoly that they used to have because. Um, the studio system was broken down uh, because of the monopoly laws. And it looked uh, for a time that motion picture as a medium was on its way out. What happened, however, was that the motion picture industry evolved. They adapted uh, and adopted, to a great extent, the independent producer, which uh, made for a lot of really unusual films in the 50s and 60s, uh, increasingly in the 60s, more experimental kinds of films that were being made and then distributed by the studios. And ultimately, this resulted in an evolution in film and in, and in the movie business. Uh, movie studios today don't make movies. They provide facilities and they provide financing. But the films themselves are actually produced by independent companies. Yep. And I think that publishing needs to take a, a lesson from this, that publishing also needs to evolve. And that's what we're trying to do here. What what we do in Dragon's Bard is we provide them this chapter every week, and they can go ahead and read it, and they can enjoy the story as it is being developed, interact with us as authors because we have a forum online where they can speak with us, ask us about the process and how we're doing this. But then when we come to the end of this process, when we come to the end of this subscription, I, uh, my wife and I are print, doing a private printing of the book. We will nice. we will publish the book ourselves in a nice, beautiful hardback form. Every one of our subscribers will receive a signed and numbered book from this limited printing, this private printing. And so, when we get to the end of this process, not only have we provided them with this summer read, this 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 fun uh, and and we think insightful story. But when we come to the end of this process, we provide them with a treasure, something that is uniquely theirs, and uh, something that we think is actually going to be more valuable um, for them than their subscription price. Now, I I just have actually one suggestion for you, if you don't mind me giving you a suggestion. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, she does it to us all the time. I know, I do. But I've just had so much experience, and I know I have... The, probably the farthest from traditional copyright views as you can possibly get. <laughs> however you'd like. But I urge and encourage you to have a free option. Only because what you really want, I think, in my opinion, are more people reading your work. The more people who read your work, the more people who are going to want that treasure at the end. And the more people you might be able to get to subscribe. So what, what I would do if I in your shoes and an awesome writer and you know had this awesome fan base is I would I would put up maybe an excerpt every month and then at the end when you're finished I would I would release the book as also a free ebook epub version maybe they wouldn't get the printing but then anyone who's read the book you know can say you know, you can't get the printed version, but here, here's the EPUB. Read it, read it on your computer, or read it on your phone, or read it on your Nook, and mm-hmm. it spreads it spreads you around. And then the next time you decide to do something, be it you know in the fall or in the spring or next summer, those people are gonna say, "Wow, I really like this book by Tracy Hickman," and now I have a chance to get in on the next one, and then they will become paying customers. And it's and it's not just a question, of course, of these works, but also of 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 building a base, a reader base, that uh, we can also promote other authors with as well over time. Absolutely, because see, one of know, the if things one of are free. There's no barrier. People will do it, and then you know they're going to want those souvenirs. Well, and 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 the other side of that, though, 
and I, and I'll go ahead and represent the other side. You know, I, I, I <laughs> is is that um, is the question of where is the value in the book? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the value in the book is not found in the paper, or in the binding, or the glue, or the ink. The value in the book is found in the ideas that the book elicits and inspires in the reader. Um, and we have come to a place, I think, uh, an unfortunate place, where ideas have become cheap and where words have become cheap. Um, and that's, uh, that's a dangerous sort of a place. I do understand the model, and it is certainly a model that, we've, that we're looking at and considering. Um, however, I, I, would, I would hesitate to put the value of the book in the in the binding. See that that's exactly the, where I disagree with you because You know what? Hey. Let, let me let me just jump in here because I'm actually gonna disagree with you too just a little bit, Tracy, and here's why. Sure. Uh, mm. I have uh, a phenomenal book collection that I treasure. Mm-hmm. Each one of those is much more than the binding, the paper the glue, the ink, each one of those in my special little universe here in Area 51 represents a part of my life. That's what makes them special. Much like Harlan Ellison, I go through and I purge my collection from time to time. I'm not getting $500,000 for what I have left over. And Drew and Kriana come in and steal pieces of it all the time. Regularly. <laughs> oh, it's not just them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that, too, aren't you? Uh, but the reality is that I, I think we're not cheapening the word. We're almost cheapening the thought of the souvenir. There, See, there I is disagree something with you on that, wait. too. I think the souvenir wait. is becoming more valuable. Because yeah, I agree. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This whole idea of that paper and, and binding and ink is so important. And it's never going to go away, regardless of EPUB, regardless of whether you can bit torrent something, regardless of some schmuck sitting at a scanner, scanning the pages and, and sending them out. doesn't and matter. frankly, wh- whether you put it up on... the internet or not it's going to be there anyway it's going to so get there eventually. Is- no, that's i think that's a ridiculous argument however that's like saying because i can steal something i should go ahead and do so oh no 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 I- not saying that at all oh you know what guys wait before we, we isn't this exciting this- though don't you love this, this interaction here that we've got going yeah, oh yeah it's great we do it all the time actually come back we do what we do Wait. It's because we, as people, do not like having the information streams that agree with us 100% all of the time. <laughs> oh, right. Which is why we're such good friends. We hate each other. But, exactly. uh, <laughs> what I wanted to say was that we could, we've been talking about the form. I want yes. to talk about the content. Tell us about the story, Dragon's Bard, and why we want to invest our time and our money in this story. What is because Dragon's that's, Bard about? that's where the truth lies. That's where the, the real meat of it is. You're absolutely right. Well, yes, and, and, the, and the, the most important thing, I think, for me to remember and for all of us to remember in, in terms of story, okay, or, or more particularly in terms of the written word, is that the, the literature is, as my wife likes to say, literature is a performance that takes place um, when the author is not present. Uh. Nice. Nicely the, put. Uh, the, the truth is that a, that a book itself is very low in information density. I can, I can very easily transmit the entire manuscript for a novel as an email attachment, and and no server in the world is going to blink. I can take a photograph with my uh, digital camera, and it's a lousy digital camera, and the file size will be larger than a book. The information density in the book is not that great. What happens in the book is where the magic is. And what happens in that book is that the meaning, the, uh, the sights, the sounds, the experience, the... 
the 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 nuance, the the totality of of the experience of the book, all takes place in the white space between the words. I, I agree it, with you on that, but I I don't believe that the experience is where the monetization lies. Oh no, no, I agree with that. I agree with you there. But the, but that ex my my point in that is that the entire experience there takes place inside the reader. Yes. It, it's the reader's imagination that provides the totality of that experience. And yes. that's why every book is unique to each reader. Yep. And, you know, we always come together and people love to talk about books and talk about their experience in the books. And people love to come up to me and tell me about their experience in the books. And, yes. and, and they'll ask me sometimes, how do you pronounce this name? And I'll, and I'll ask them, how, how do you pronounce it? And they'll give me a pronunciation and I'll say, that's exactly right. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> nice. Well, it doesn't matter because in in their experience that's was that's the way the word sounded. That's the way that sounded and that for them was the reality of it. This is why I will never say Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And just did. Gandalf. <laughs> so so you know that's so this is a partnership between the author and the reader that uh, that is this experience. And so, to that extent, yes, I think you're right. We need to share that. We need to share that experience. That the monetization of that probably does lie in the treasure, Absolutely. which is why. Which is why, actually, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that I actually agree with you, and I'm, and and would look at that in terms of a model as to how to make this how to make this function. So, to a certain right, extent, so, in terms of the story itself, though, which is what I think you were asking me about. Yes. Yeah. What's um, the story about? <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you a story about the story. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, why not? <laughs> That's right. I've I've still got several discs here left on my iTunes backup. Uh, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> the 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 story is that this is this is a book that my wife and I have wanted to write for quite some time. Um, a series that we've wanted to write for quite some time, and and the reason is because it is a gentle book. Um. Uh, is it a fantasy book? Absolutely. Um, but it was a book we wanted to help people feel good for a change. Um, we, live in a, we live in a society today that is absolutely driven by fear. Um, fear of that other guy, whoever he is and whatever political badge he has. Um, uh, fear of the unknown, fear of... of death raining down on us and we are constantly being taught to be afraid the uh, we have I was talking to uh, my my friend uh, uh, Bob Salvatore the, uh, last oh. year yeah and yeah oh. yeah Bobby's a great man and he he and I you know have fabulous discussions together but one of the things he said to me is we have we have these colored levels of threat level here in the country and we are never, ever, ever going to see green or blue. And we're never going to see those because the moment we see green or blue as a threat level, we no longer need the people who tell us that they protect us from... <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's You're right. absolutely right. Yeah. And so for the people to remain in power that are in power, we have to be afraid. And I, and I for one, am tired of being afraid. And so we wanted to write a book about gentler things, about more immediate problems and more immediate things. We talk, uh, so, so consequently, Eventide is the story about a village, a fantasy village, one of those places that the army marches through and we never think of. And the people who live here and, and how they live their lives in this fantasy world and how they deal with their more immediate quests. So we talk about the heroes all being local and the princess lives next door. Nice. We, want to, we, we wanted to tell a story about um, the gossip fairy. <laughs> you know, it, who's Love this it. fairy who lives on this, uh, there's this row of townhouses and there's this one townhouse right in the middle. It's this tiny little townhouse. The rest of them are all the same size. There's one tiny little townhouse. And here's this fairy who lives here, and, and all she does is spread gossip through the town. We wanted to tell the story about, 
we want to tell the story about the millinery who took in these pixies one night, and the pixies, they were just terrible to her and nearly wrecked her home. And she finally managed to stick them in a pickle barrel and <laughs> keep them secure for the night till she could roll them outside when it was warm enough for them to survive. And all the pixies really enjoyed it in the pickle barrel. <laughs> and decided she was a right old broad and, and that they should go back and help her if she ever needs any help, which is about to happen in Chapter 7. Oh. We wanted to tell a story about a dwarf, this, this, the local blacksmith dwarf, who's the typical gruff, dirty dwarf who works with metal all day and his hands are always calloused. But he stands outside at night. He stands outside the hall, the window of the hall, and watches all of the women dancing in the hall and longs to dance himself. And it turns out that he has this, this, this artistic side to him that nobody suspects. These were the stories we wanted to talk about. These were the stories that we wanted to tell. And uh, it's and it's all built around this uh, this young accountant apprentice in the town who wants desperately to impress one of the three wisher women at the wishing well, the three women who supply wishes to the wishing well, uh, and and just wants to win her heart. And how he decides that he has to set off on his own quest in the town to somehow impress her. Uh, and that was the story we wanted to tell. Now, as, as now that's charming. It is. It is a charming story. I could not sell it. No. <laughs> yep. Because it didn't have fear in it. I mean, wait a minute. Has, are there any vampires in it? Well, <laughs> I should probably have thrown in some vampires. I probably no. Would. I'm really glad you didn't. Thank you so much for not <laughs> doing that. I. It wouldn't sell because it wouldn't sell because it was a gentle book. It was a book to make people feel better. It was a book to make people feel good, to feel something honest for a change. And and for some reason no one wanted to buy this idea. No one wanted to buy the idea that maybe we would like to read something that 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 inspired us, something better in us instead of of the the grimness of of battle and and action conflict, um, and so we decided maybe if 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 general publishing wasn't interested in writing a book like this, then maybe I should write it. We should write it ourselves, and that's where we came into Dragon's Bard. It is a wonderful place to visit. It is a charming place to visit. It is full of people that have problems. Uh, we just finished. We just put up this chapter about. Um, Father Pantheon, um, who came to this town um, uh, full of missionary zeal for his goddess, the Lady of the Sky, and was assigned here by mistake. But because the elders of this, of the the leaders of his church, um, were infallible by definition, <laughs> uh, he had to stay. And. <laughs> Since they couldn't admit to this mistake, he was never able to leave. And so he's been here out down through the years trying to minister to the people who are here, none of whom have any interest in his goddess whatsoever, and all of whom seem to worship some other god altogether. So he's tried to accommodate them as best he can, and so they call him Father Pantheon, uh, the, the, the minister who takes care of takes care of you whatever god you happen to be interested in. <laughs> nice. Pantheon. I like it. So that's 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 basically what we're doing. We have we have a, actually have three books in this series that we'd like to do. Um once even tide is done, we want to do Black Shore, um which is uh a uh the port city that is uh, south of even tide down on the coast. And the story of uh, Percival, um, who has gone to this place to prove his manhood by going to sea, but nobody wants to take him on. Um, even the press gangs won't take him. It's really kind of sad. He's not sure quite what to do. Um, and the third book deals with actually one of the three sisters of the well going to the big city of Moordale 
and uh, properly learning the craft in in the big city. So that's you know that's basically the idea of where we're going with this and and having a having a wonderful time. I have to tell you, I had I I actually expected this to be a short book, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, had uh, predicted it to be at about outlined the book actually to twenty one chapters, which is about roughly half the size of the normal book that I do. But we're into it, uh, coming on to seven chapters now, and we have about 40,000 words, which means that it actually will probably end up being about the same size as a standard fantasy book that I usually write. But Tracy, you know, you're telling stories about real people, and you can never end with real people's experiences. Real people's experiences are so much different than what we write. Or I mean yes. what we read about. You know, it's, it's more than TV and movies and that. Real people have, you know, in my real world, outside of the show, um, everybody's life is just so different and everybody's life is so unique in its own way. Well, and there's, the, there's an interesting reason, I think, for that. Um, and that is, I think we know from, uh, at least from my reading in, in Joseph Campbell and, and, uh, and, uh. and other sources as well, um, I think we understand that story really is at the heart of how we think. Um, story, I, I, um, story is meaning. Um, yep. William Goldman says that story is structure, but I think story is meaning. Story is the structure that we use to understand the meaning of what happens around us. When, when we're driving down the street and some guy cuts us off, you know, in traffic, we instantly create a story about how he's the evil person who is, you know, uh, <laughs> and who has cut us off in, in his nefarious, angry way and is, and is endangering our lives. We are the righteous person, of course, who, even though we are speeding, we have a cause for doing so. Well, of course. Or we hope that they're running to, <laughs> or we hope that they're running to the hospital to see someone, and that's why they're driving so recklessly. No, that's no, right. And we no, and we build this, in, and that's a very nice way to look at it. But we build this entire story because we have to come up with some meaning. We have to fill in the void. There's that's no right. place without story. That's right. Absolutely. And so, consequently, we look at our lives and we try to make story out of our lives, but our lives are not story. Our lives are events, and we try to twist them, the framework of those events, into meaning and story. And that's why every, every, the way we think, the way we reason, the way we work through our problems is all built on a story structure. That's why story is so very powerful in motivating people. And so, uh, and this, this is why, this is why, uh, this is why story connects so directly with us. This is why news media, more recently, um, well, recently I, I say this like the old man on the mountain because uh, <laughs> the old man on the this, mountain doesn't exist anymore. You realize? <laughs> well, I, he does in my story. Anyway, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> oh, bazinga! <laughs> so, wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> bazinga! Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Java. <laughs> And so what, what uh, you know, after the 60s, actually, in the 60s, transitioning into the 70s, news media uh, realized that they didn't have to be a loss to the uh, broadcasting, that they could actually be a profit center. And they did this by transitioning from strictly journalistic format into news story format yep. and right. reframing uh, the news as story. Right. And so, you know, Jimmy Olsen is no longer told to go out and get the facts. He's told to go out and get the story. Right. And that means slant and frame. Uh, because that communicates meaning to us directly. Maybe not the correct meaning, but it does communicate meaning. A meaning. There's a difference a between meaning. Not necessarily the meaning. Exactly. So, Tracy, if they go to your website, if we go to dragonsbar.com, you'll see a countdown calendar that says... You have 21 days, 4 hours, 57 minutes, the yada, 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 to get the Elite Book subscription. And yes. if you do that, here's what you get. You get a download audiobook MP3 
every chapter by chapter. You mm -hmm. get exclusive Eventide website access. You get a download of weekly text chapters. You get access to the discussion forum. You get a privately printed limited edition hardback numbered and signed book. Is That's quite the value. Quite the value. Your treasure right there because that's there fantastic. is your bazinga. Yep. And and how much does all this cost, though? Um, yeah, the cost right now for the the discount subscription that we're offering right now is uh, fifty dollars, fifty three dollars. I think fifty three dollars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do offer the audiobook only um, for fifteen. <laughs> but, oh, and by uh, the way. Uh, Andrew from Brown Coats Redemption says, Mansquito, this is one hell of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody drink. <coughs> what, you really drank? Yeah, of course we really yeah, drink. <laughs> yeah, it, and 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 I might add that, uh, uh, and I might add that that when you're on the forums there, you're talking to me directly. I administer the forum. Oh, uh, see, that, that is perfect monetization right there because absolutely the other, so I, I actually do a lot of research on copyright and it's very interesting to me and the difference between infinite and scarce goods is very interesting and mm -hmm. the infinite good would be you know a text copy of your book that a server won't blink at you can make infinite copies of those and it won't cost you a dime but your attention is definitely a scarce good and certainly worth paying for oh, as well you. as Absolutely, as well as that, that signed numbered edition at the end. Well, sure. There, we said that part. There's a yeah. scarce good for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I, we, like I say, we're going to be doing more novels in this way. We're also going to be looking at doing some expansion uh, of, of this idea over the next few years. But, um, uh, yeah, these, these first, this first series of books is, is going to be quite rare. And, uh, um, uh, it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a serious treasure for for people who enjoy the book and and collectors alike. I think. As we're getting short on time here, uh, the the question I actually want to just kind of wrap this up with is: This is an experiment. This mm -hmm. is something that you are taking a risk with. How do you feel about this risk so far? It's been absolutely worth it. I don't know awesome. if I'm going to make any money off of this or not, and I'm not sure that I'm necessarily interested in that. But what I am interested in is exploring new ways to bring to bring the experience of the written word to those who need to read it, and to find a new voice. I think um, publishing today uh, has gotten to the point where, whenever a book is proposed, it goes before a committee. That's like trying to design a camel. Exactly. This is where are the science fiction and fantasy has always been in the forefront of, of exploration and thought has always taken us in new directions and has improved our lives by expanding our ideas and by expanding our minds. That can't happen by a committee. We need independent production. And I think that this is the way if we can, if we can educate the audience and I hate saying that word, but no, you're can, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If we can get them to know where to look, see, um, my readers don't know that I'm here yet. They don't know that I'm doing this yet. But when our, but if we can get them to look, if they can get them to yep. find us and to realize that there is a different and a new way to do this, then we can start producing works that are on the forefront again, that are inspiring again, and that take us to new places again. I think that's the most exciting thing for me. You've completely and utterly just made the point that I wanted to make when I said you should release at the end of your project a free ebook because, <laughs> well, no, just to go back to that for You're a minute, right. you, you just, you want to get it out to as many people and, you know, not all of those people are going to love your book, but some of them will and now they'll know you and the next time you do something, they're going to want that treasure, they're going to want your attention, they're going to want a physical copy of that book and they're going to want to interact more with it. Mm -hmm. But they can't and, if they don't know it exists. And for those of you that do, uh, check out work at trhickman.com and dragonsbar.com, both of these websites. 
will be posted on our website with this this later on this evening or early tomorrow morning. Great thanks to Tracy Hickman for coming on. Thank you so much, sir. My great pleasure. We should get together when this project's over with and see how it went. We absolutely should. Was that an invitation to come back on the show? Because I'd be delighted to come back. Awesome. Awesome. X. It's that time. It's that time. Okay, on the coming up calendar next week, we will try this for a second time here. July 17th, fan favorite artist Frank B. Washington returns to talk about zombies versus cheerleaders. Okay, turn the drums down. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Try that My again. My first time trying to do it. Jeez. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Just tell the mice to keep it down. <laughs> so again, next week, July 17th, fan favorite artist Frankie B. Washington returns to talk about his new series, Zombies vs. Cheerleaders. <laughs> July 24th, tentatively, we will have horror master and giant monster expert Steve Bissett to plug the re-release of Son of Godzilla in Yay! the theaters. July 31st, we return to Science Fiction Science Fact. We speak with Bruce Duncan of the Life Knot Project and discuss how they can clone you and make you immortal. This yes! is a- <laughs> August 7th, editor Jeff Burke takes us to the fringe of fearsome fiction with Bizarro Press Publishing. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes, because it may be over, but it never ends. And before we fade out... A personal shout-out to Pam, who had a full-size painting of Raceland in her dorm room, and Sue, who named her cat Simkin, and I believe named all of her pets after Tracy Hickman characters. If you're listening, God bless. Great. Thanks to Tracy Hickman. Check out his work. The links will be on the website. From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, sitting at her soundboard, Kriana, thanks for all you do. Sayonara. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. What a swell party this is. Good night, everyone. From Outpost Gallifrey, our crop circle investigator, great thanks to Awake by Java. I'll be watching you. This is the dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, a shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. <laughs>